of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1 to 12. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And, you, and no man, call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. If you would, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you and give you praise for today. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord, for calling us out of our beds, Lord, and into the gathered worship of your bride here this morning. Lord, we thank you for our worship this morning, Lord, through song and through confession and through liturgy. And we pray, God, that as we continue to worship you, Lord, through hearing your word taught and read, Lord, coming to the table and making thanks for the work of Christ, Lord, through confession of our faith, and Lord, through even more song and prayer, Lord, we pray, God, that you would... Honor our worship, Lord, and allow it to be in spirit and in truth. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get, get started this morning, I have to make a bit of a confession and come clean. So over the past week, I've had a few conversations with some of you or even uh, others that uh, I've randomly bumped into that might you know, be listening to the podcast, uh, the sermon audio podcast that we do. But... I mistakenly said that we would be discussing the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees this morning. And obviously we just read our text, and so we're not actually talking about that. Uh, I was wrong, right? But our text is the prelude to those seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. So I looked at the text, and I mistakenly assumed we would be looking at the majority of chapter 23 of Matthew, and we are not. Uh, So we will not be looking at the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees today or even this lectionary year, but even though we will not be looking at those, it does lurk in the background, right? It informs what we're looking at today in this passage. Um, The context of this chapter is still being built out of everything that we've looked at over the last few weeks, starting in chapter 21, verse 23, where the Sanhedrin, made up of scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, and all of them come to Jesus after he overturns the money changers and asks him, where his authority comes from. This kind of ends that whole scene. And just as importantly as that, our text for this morning is also really built out of the context that we saw last week where Jesus leans into the entire authority of Scripture to answer their question of his authority. The law, the prophets, and the writings. 
in order to point them to his scriptural authority, particularly that as it relates to Torah or to to the law of God. We see that continuing to inform these 12 verses this morning. And it's on that point in particular, on that purpose of Torah, that Jesus now turns to the crowds. He turns to his disciples that are gathered around him, and he turns away from addressing the scribes and the Pharisees because, as we saw at the end of 22 last week, they're no longer going to ask him any more questions. They're done trying to test him. He has always defeated them in a battle of wits, right, and in a battle of truth. And so they're done. So since they're done, he's done. He's turning now to his disciples. He's turning to the crowds. And in this address to his disciples and into the crowds, even the woes that he pronounces, Jesus returns to many of the familiar themes and the familiar teaching points that Matthew highlights for his readers and that we have seen throughout this entire ordinary season this year. Basically, what we are given this morning in these first 12 verses is a summary of the teaching of Christ throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And I will give you some references as we make our way through this. So, Jesus, though, he does this in a very interesting way. And if you look there at the center of the reading for this morning, he does this by centering this entire teaching. He he kind of revolves around this. He orbits these elements of these funny words of phylacteries and fringes which he mentions in verse 5. And so he just says there, he says, They do all their deeds in order to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That's verse 5. For some of us, these might be fairly familiar terms, and for others, these might not be terms we've ever thought about ever before. right? And so what are they, right? If If this is informing this lesson that Jesus is about to teach and that he is teaching and that these woes that he's about to about to proclaim... What are phylacteries? What are fringes? Well, phylacteries, for those that don't know, and for those that do, here's a reminder. These are small leather pouches or little boxes that contained passages of Scripture, particularly the law itself. And they were worn either on the forearm or the forehead. Now, interestingly, the principle for these come from the Shema from Deuteronomy 6 that we saw last week. Remember, Jesus quoted this last week. They come to him and they ask, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so in Deuteronomy 6, we read this in verses 4, 5, 6, and 8, just to summarize it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's where Shema comes from. This is the Hebrew word meaning hear. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your might. Excuse me. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as as frontlets between your eyes. So phylacteries are really the, the human answer to this part of the Shema. Bind them on your arms. Bind them on your mind. Make sure they are always at your attention. Fringes were blue and white cords or blue and white tassels that were to be worn at the four corners of someone's outer garment. So these are directly commanded by the Lord in Numbers 15 to remind the people of their faithfulness to Torah, of faithfulness to his law. And so we read this in Numbers 15, starting in verse 37. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on each tassel, at each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and to remember all of the commandments 
of the Lord and to do them and to not follow after your own heart your own heart or after your own eyes what you are inclined to do. All right, so with these definitions, right, phylacteries and fringes, let's work these out as they relate to Matthew chapter 23. Because at face value, what we've just read from the law and what we've read from God's commands, what Jesus is saying here in, these, in this one verse, it, it often seems to be somewhat in contrast to what God has commanded, right? He says, look, they do all of their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. This seems almost in contrast and contradiction, but we know that's not the case. So this is a moment where we can pause and as we're trying to figure this out and be pretty brutally honest with ourselves, right? Because we are often very quick to give the scribes and the Pharisees a hard time about how they kept the law, right? Now, rightly so, right? We read about these in the Gospels constantly, but we're often quick to criticize them as if we ourselves aren't guilty of many of the same failings as they are. Even if they don't look the same, we're guilty of doing the same. And so Jesus' issue here, as he begins this passage on the woes, he, it's not, his issue is not with their adherence to Torah. It's their disposition towards Torah. It's their attitude towards Torah. Notice again at the first part of verse 5, he says, they do all of their deeds in order to be seen by others. This is the issue. This is the issue that informs all 12 of these verses. The scribes and the Pharisees are more concerned with receiving praises and appearing to be holy than they are with the people being faithful to Torah and its commands. Even though they have turned around and added a lot of heavy burdens upon them to make sure they adhere to Torah, they're not really concerned with them adhering to Torah. They want to appear holy. Meaning that what they've done is they have taken some of the good things of God, like phylacteries and fringes, these are good, and they have warped them. They've abused them for their own self-interest. Their phylacteries, which are good, ended up becoming a sign of their false piety. In the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, the spirit of the law was to keep God's law always upon the mind and within eyesight so that you could constantly be meditating on God's law. But the scribes and the Pharisees had used them as a show of false piety, making them broad or making them increasingly larger. Look at how big my phylactery is. Notice it. Right? Look how much more I adore Yahweh's law than you do. Look how big my phylactery is. It covers my entire arm, not just my forearm. I can't walk straight because it's in front of my eyes so much. Right? I'm bumping into walls. Look how good and pious I am. Jesus addresses this in one of the woes. Listen to what he says in verses 25 and 26 of Matthew 23. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, so that the outside may also be clean. Likewise, they've made their fringes long. Right? The fringes are supposed to be literally on the four corners of your outer garment, so that you are reminded of God's law and to be faithful to it. But they had made them so long that not only are they logically dragging the ground and getting dirty, they're doing it in order to be seen by others. My phylacteries are huge, but so are my fringes. Look how big they are. Right? Look how much more righteous I am than you, normal peasant of Israel. Right? Jesus has a response to this too in, the law, in, in these woes. He says this in verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes 
and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so it's in their misuse of the good things of God, the phylacteries and the fringes. Again, these are good things. And it's in their misuse that Jesus now turns and he actually critiques their practices. But he also warns his disciples to avoid those practices. So listen to the critique. Jumping back to the top of our text, starting in verse 2, Chrysostom actually notes here and he says that the scribes and the Pharisees were depraved in their thoughts and in their hearts, but yet Jesus still upholds the dignity of their office. Because in their office, they have been given the authority to teach Not their words, but God's words. And so Jesus says this, right? He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. This implies that the scribes and the Pharisees are indeed the successor of Moses' legal role. And so as such, they possess Moses' authority. Notice in this statement, Jesus, he doesn't refute this, right? He's not saying, this is not their job. This is not their role. This is indeed their role. Again, he says this, they sit on Moses' seat. Again, implying they have been given this legal authority. So, then, because they have been given this legal authority, practice and observe whatever they tell you to do. Because. Because they have the legal authority, listen to their teaching. Practice their teaching. Now, this, again, almost seems counter to what we have always thought about when we look at the Gospels and we see Jesus constantly duking it out with these men, right? But as you continue into the rest of verse 3, you see that while Jesus absolutely affirms their teaching and he affirms their office, he condemns their practice. Listen to them, but do not follow them because they preach, but they do not practice. Meaning, they have very good orthodoxy, but horrendous orthopraxy. And both right teaching and right practice, faith and obedience, are necessary for life in Yahweh. And so it's here what Jesus does is he starts summarizing the teaching that he has been presenting through all of Matthew's gospel, that Matthew has helped to put this together in this way. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus demanded in Matthew 5 that citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that disciples that follow him, are to let their light shine so that their good works may glorify the Father who is in heaven. Your phylacteries and your fringes may be broad and long, but who is receiving the glory, you or the Lord God? And because they have poor orthopraxy, Jesus notes that their teaching has become a heavy burden. It's simply too hard to bear. It's weighing them down. It's breaking their backs. It's almost like they're back in slavery. Their teaching weighs the people down instead of pointing them to God. One commentator writes here, he says this, he says, they, meaning the scribes and the Pharisees, they have multiplied the number of ways in which a man might offend God, but they failed in helping him to please God. So again, we cannot help but be reminded of Jesus' teaching from Matthew 11, which we have studied this ordinary time this year, where he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
And so while burdening the people with burdens too heavy to bear, the scribes and the Pharisees make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long so that they may be seen by others. They do not practice what they preach. And instead of providing a model to ease the burdens of the people, they orchestrate all of their deeds for attention, displaying again that their righteousness and their piety are simply for show. They don't care. They just want you to praise them. Again, we are reminded in the teaching of Christ from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, these three principles. Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for you For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Or, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Or this one, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And if that wasn't enough, the scribes and the Pharisees also love, he tells us, the place of honor at the feasts in verse 6. They love seeking recognition and status in the community. This reeks of false piety. Again, Jesus reminds us of some warnings that he's given us in his teaching over the, throughout the Gospel of Matthew that we have looked at. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Do not lay up for your treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Finally, in this passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus notes that the scribes and the Pharisees, they relish in being recognized by their positions and by their titles, not by their fruits. They love being called rabbi and having the places of honor. They were guilty of pride and they wanted everyone to acknowledge just how important they were. Now those are some pretty heavy-handed critiques. But we can see, right, they're rightly warranted, right? You make your way through the Gospels and you understand what he's getting at. But again, we, we can't pretend for a moment that we're any less prone to these same attitudes, we like to be patted on the back, right? We like to be recognized. I'll be honest, I like it when somebody tells me on Sunday morning, I really appreciated that sermon. That was a good sermon, right? Because at least I feel like I've done a decent job for the week, right? Um, we're all plagued by our own versions of phylacteries and fringes. So then the question is, what would Jesus prefer his disciples to do? What is the proper kingdom perspective on these types of matters? He tells us in verses 8 through 10. He says, but you, so you disciples, right, you crowd, you kingdom members, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven, and neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. For anyone like me, right, that has grown up and been in the Protestant church long enough, you've probably heard at least one sermon or one Bible study on these verses, especially as a critique against our Roman friends or our Orthodox friends or even our Anglican or Episcopalian friends that call their clergy father. Right? So let me make everybody mad because I like to do this, right? You guys, I've been here long enough, right, to know that I like to cause a problem and then try to fix it, right? So here's the problem. 
I don't think this is what Jesus is saying in this text. I grew up in the Protestant tradition. I've been told many a times, don't call that man father because you only have one father and his name is God. So, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. So, let me unpack this before you all throw me out of the room, right? So, keep in mind the context of verses 1 through 7. Because verse 8, which is what I just read, is meant to stand in contrast to verse 7. So let me read those two verses again. So they love, this starting back in verse 6, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and they love greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees, they relish in being recognized. They relish in being praised for being referred to by their titles and by their positions. They loved having their egos stroked. Like we all do. Right? They sit in the line of succession of Moses and Aaron. Christ has already stated that point. It is their responsibility to interpret and present the law of God to the people. It is their responsibility to make sure that the people are adhering to the law appropriately. But they've swung the pendulum too far. They've come back from exile for not adhering to the law, and they've gone the complete other direction. Their burdens are too heavy. They've become prideful of their positions and their titles and of being recognized. And Jesus tells us this is not to be the attitude of a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. Our attitudes, our focus, our outlook as we look upon each other is to be totally different. And notice, this is even related to phylacteries and fringes. These are good objects that have been commanded and designed by God to remind us of his law and his practice and his mercy and his grace, but they have been warped by our lusts and by our pride. Disciples of the kingdom of heaven are not to be called teacher or father or instructor because we are all co-equal brothers in Christ. And we all have the same father in heaven. And we all have the same instructor who is Christ Jesus himself. So again, we're often quick to criticize the scribes and the Pharisees for adhering so literally to the law that they miss the spirit of it. But how we approach this text and how we interpret it can remind us that we can be just as guilty of that same literalism. So, again, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't think he's, not, I don't think he's prohibiting titles. So let me explain. If we take Jesus' warning in verses 8, 9, and 10 as literally as the scribes and Pharisees did of the law, then the application of the Christian church, of the New Testament church, of the people of God now, should be that no title whatsoever is warranted for any leader in our communities. Not one. Not pastor, not teacher, not elder, not bishop, not deacon, nothing. That is the literal interpretation of this warning. So again, we are very quick to criticize our Catholic friends, our Orthodox friends, our Anglican friends for calling their priest father. But if they are wrong to call a priest father, then we are wrong to call our pastors pastor. Because pastor means shepherd, and we have one shepherd. Or to call our pastors reverend. When we ordain a man, he technically takes on the title of reverend. Reverend means revered one. Who are we to revere but God alone? So, 
I don't think Jesus' warning here is a prohibition against titles. And to suggest otherwise is really to neglect the full counsel of Scripture. Because titles such as these are applied to men throughout the entire New Testament. Just like pastor is. We read about this in 1 Timothy 3. We read about it in Titus 1. We read about it in 1 Peter 5. Pastor, shepherd, elder, these are all the same word. Right? But for example, let me give you some others. Teacher is used in John chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he calls him a teacher of the law. He's not refuting that title. Or in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul tells us in Ephesians that God has given many different positions in the church. Apostle, uh, evangelist, teacher. Or father is used in Luke chapter 16, verse 24, referring to Abraham. This is the, this is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Right? He's not refuting the fact that Abraham is the father of the nation. Right? In the same way, we probably in somewhat refer to the church fathers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul even states that he became the Corinthians' father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He calls Timothy his son in the faith. So instead, we should understand how Jesus' warning here serves as a reminder against seeking attention and status above others in the church because we are all co-equal brothers in Christ Jesus. That's what I think he's getting at here. James tells us the exact same thing in James 3. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Since the very early days of the church, leaders in the church have been called father, not because they desire to take the place of God, but because they shepherd their flocks in a fatherly manner. Or they have fatherly care by leading their people to God. Or they exercise fatherly authority within their congregations. So again, Jesus' point here is not that titles are bad. We call David King David because that's his title. Or we call Peter and Paul apostles because these are titles that refer to their office. There's no prohibition in calling a clergyman father or pastor or elder or deacon or teacher because these are titles that describe their office within the church. But it's when our titles are placed in the wrong position. When they are not placed in their proper mediatorial role. Like they were designed to be. But rather they stand as an obstacle between God and the people of God. This is when they become their own form of a phylactery or a fringe. They elevate the church's leaders wrongly. And they obstruct the focus from God who is our father from Christ who is our instructor, and that we are all brothers in Christ. So instead, he reminds us in these final two verses here, he says, the lesson here for all believers, including pastors and teachers and deacons and fathers in the church, the lesson is the same as the critique against the scribes and the Pharisees. Do not seek attention or status, but rather serve one another in humility and let your example be a means to praise the Father in heaven and allow him to exalt you as he has exalted Christ. So, as we prepare to come to the table, I think a great landing place, if you're wanting an application and to try to figure out a way in which to apply this through the week, a great landing place is, what is, what is my own phylacteries or fringe this week? What, 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 have, what have I made a phylactery out of, out of my religious practice? What are my fringes? Again, these two things are not sinful in themselves. We've read about these both from the law. 
God has commanded these symbols for our good. But God is very, very serious about his symbols. And he's very particular about how they are used. Jerome, the 4th century church father who died in 420-ish, he writes this concerning phylacteries and fringes. He says, these things must be carried upon the heart, not on the body. You might have children, you might have treasure boxes, you might even have storehouses, but at the same time, you may not have knowledge of God. And then he says this, and this sounds very much like it could apply to today in 2023 in the church. He said, even today, there are those superstitious little ladies who have their little gospels. They have their little tokens. But in the absence of the true cross, they have a zeal for God, but no knowledge of him. Phylacteries and fringes are good symbols given by God, but only if they are used for their purpose. And not one of them matters in the absence of the knowledge of Christ, or the experience of Christ, or life in Christ. And this is a challenge. Let's, let's be honest. This is a challenge for both the new believer and for the seasoned believer. We are to lay aside our phylacteries and our fringes in order to pick up the righteousness and faithfulness found only in Christ Jesus. This is part of the daily work of the believer. And thankfully, we do not have to endure this hard work alone. Rather, we can encourage one another as we work together and as we weekly come together to the table to give thanks for the finished work of Christ. So come this morning and make thanks for Christ and lay aside your phylacteries and your fringes and cling only to Jesus. And let your light shine before others so that everyone might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen.